Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Math is all around us, but sometimes it can be a bit hard to see how it applies to everyday lives. This week we're going to be looking at some actual mathematical research that actually impacts and affects our lives in ways that may appear not as obvious at first blush. Let me get into everything from slicing up a pizza, as well as confirmation bias and trying to figure out systemic errors. When hanging out with your friends and organising a party, one of the easiest ways of catering such a party is to, of course, order pizza. Now, once you get past the number of pizzas to order and the types and the flavours, you come to another big problem, and that is how to cut up the pizza, how to divide it. Now, some stores, they, they pre-cut it for you, and you might be familiar with the traditional 8, 12, 16 types of slices that you receive. But you'd be surprised to learn that pizza theorem and pizza cutting theorems is actually a very interesting and reasonably well-researched area of mathematics. Now, that's not actually just specifically to do with pizza, but it is all to do with dividing and tiling uh, a flat circular surface. So some recent researchers from the University of Liverpool, Joel Hadley and Stephen Worsley, have been just recently published a paper on a new and very interesting method of cutting up pizzas in, in a very optimal manner. But all of this dates back to uh, a challenge problem actually posed in 1968 by a mathematical researcher, Upton, who devised a problem, a challenge, uh, to divide equally a pizza, and this is called pizza theorem. So what this, this theorem itself is about, and the challenge itself, so let's say we take a disc, which in our instance is a pizza, but really could be any disc-shaped circular object, and we, we'll, we'll divide up that disc into n number of pizzas. Uh, pieces of pizza, maybe. And that's number n has to be divisible by 4, but greater than or equal to 8. So really, you're not going to cut it up into pieces less than 8. So let's let's sort of give a limit for it. And you can do that with equal angles through a arbitrary line through a point P. So the whole idea, as you rotate that angle around, is that from that arbitrary point P, that could be in the middle, like you would traditionally find in a pizza, but it could be offset along a number of other places. But if you do that, the, the, the theorem itself states that the sum of the areas of the odd numbers, so one type or one colour, and the even numbers, the, the other colour, or your half and my half, would be equal. Well, the fancy mathematical way of saying it, as long as I choose the point P here, space that at equal angles, and um, use a number divisible by 4 but equal to 8, or greater than or equal to 8, I can actually cut it in a way that everyone gets an equal share, or at least two people or more get an equal share. And this was sort of theorised, and this solution itself was derived by Michael Goldberg uh, much later on and established further by Carter and Wagen and Fredrickson, and, you know, up from 1968 through to 2012. So it's an actually a reasonably active area of pizzatical research in mathematics. But if you want to be a bit more creative than this, these uh, sort of arcs and chords or triangular-type shaped objects of varying sizes, which is kind of how the general pizza theorem works, what Hadley and Worsley the researchers from the University of Liverpool have actually done, has come up with what they call an infinite family of monohedral disc tilings. Or in other words, a way of infinitely cutting and dividing a pizza into equal pieces, or tiling the space. 
And tiling is a very important area of mathematics, and you, you might think it's a little bit silly, but aside from the very obvious applications in the construction and building industries for tiling services, it's also about densely and optimally filling a space. And that's everything from construction of large buildings to small objects. So the way in which we actually engineer nicely packed, strong, and but resource-efficient buildings, objects, and so on, often uses very interesting mathematics. For example, the beautiful bubble-shaped aquatic centre from the 2008 Beijing Olympics was some incredibly architecturally designed and mathematically complex shapes that required um, that mimic the form of a bubble to optimally fill that space. So A, make a really impressive building, but B, actually do so in a really efficient manner that looks fantastic and can really minimize the surfaces. So what really are the applications of this new monohedral disc tiling uh, method that the researchers have devised? Well, the other way to think about it is more about coming up with a way that you can move the center but still end up with a lot of equal pieces to share. And that has lots of applications because maybe there is something at the center, like a, a certain topping, an egg, a piece, a piece of salami or ham or something that you don't want to cut up, then you can actually come up with a way to avoid cutting at the center. And that is where mathematics really helps. Now, of course, to really get into this, you'll, you'll need to look up the actual pictures and diagrams on the internet, which are quite readily available if you have a look at this great research. But also get yourself a pizza knife that is very, very accurate and sharp. And my experience with pizza knives has been that's not the case. But it just goes to show you that mathematics can have some really interesting applications, which go a little bit further than you first may think. And it's not just all boring maths questions that need to be solved but sometimes can be uh, one that's quite satisfying and can be used even at big parties. Now, we're all probably familiar with the idea that if something sounds too good to be true, then chances are something's wrong. We all have that circumstance where we get out of a test and we feel that everything was too easy. Maybe we missed something that others didn't. Or even in, in such as things as uh, ancient Jewish law, they actually have a concept of that if, it, if a suspect on trial is found unanimously guilty from all judges, then that person's got to be acquitted because there must be some kind of systemic bias or something that they're overlooking. And and because over time, they noticed that when there was unanimous agreement, it meant that there was some kind of systemic error in the judicial process. That that seems like a, actually a well-researched idea, and it's something that we actually have recently backed up with some evidence-based research from Lachlan Gunn and other authors from Australia and France who recently published the Proceedings of the Royal Society on a concept they call the paradox of unanimity which is basically picking up systemic errors when everything looks too perfectly aligned or too good to be true. Now, where these researchers first turned was the modern-day police lineup. Now, if you're not familiar, where we once we have someone who has been a witness to a crime or, or a victim of a crime, then what police often may do is, is randomly assort 
a bunch of people who kind of match the descriptions given to them, including sometimes and suspects if they're likely or they've done their investigations well. And then the victim or witness is meant to identify them blindly, not knowing which one's which from this lineup. So that's a concept of a police lineup. But it's quite possible, and these researchers found quite a lot of evidence of potential systematic error in the way that these are done. And what they researchers found is that a even a small amount of bias or a more leaning towards one way or another amongst witnesses can have a very large impact overall. So when only 1% of the lineup sees a bit of bias towards a particular subject, the probability that the witnesses are correct begins to decrease quite dramatically, uh, which is you know quite, quite surprising. Counterintuitively, it would seem, if many of the witnesses were to identify a different subject, then the probability that the other witnesses were correct would actually substantially increase. So if you actually pick someone that wasn't the same as everyone else, what they found was when there's a bit of bias that you're actually more likely to be correct. Now, this all comes back to a complicated mathematical statistical idea we called Bayesian analysis, Bayesian probability, which you may or may not have heard of. And a simple way to think about it is a bias coin. So if the bias coin lands on its head 55% of the time, then after a while, you're able to tell that heads comes up more than tails because, you know, 55% weighted to fall on that side. So you actually, over a longer, larger sample size, you actually pick up that bias more which means that it's not just an even or random 50-50 chance, which means there's some kind of systemic error. That's kind of the systemic error that we're getting at here. So when you get a really large group of unanimous witnesses all together, according to the laws of probability, that actually means it's more likely that the system itself has some kind of underlying bias that's impacting it. So that's what these researchers have found and are called the unanimity paradox. But really, it's kind of a logical extension. Now, obviously, there are many cases where large unanimous agreement is pretty obvious and a good thing. Uh, and that's, you know, that's where stuff is very, very clear. There's not really any haze about the circumstances and things are clearly identifiable. In those instances, obviously, unanimous agreement is possible and there's not kind of a systemic uh, kind of chance of error there. So obviously, if you're trying to find an apple among bananas, the idea is it's pretty easy to avoid any kind of systemic error. It's more when you have a kind of like a very narrow misidentification uh, instance in a high stress or a place where you don't get a good visualization on it, then it really does start to show a difference. And there is a wider implication of this of so bad from police lineups. And realistically, what these researchers are actually studying by is looking at cryptography. So what keeps our data safe on our mobile phones, on our internet banking, on our text messages and email clients and basically everything that makes up the digital world from my level down to the government. And when it applies to computer security, there's things such as uh, we, we basically do a probability test to make sure that um, we don't end up with a number that's already been used or a composite prime. Um, and the, the types of probabilities you expect with that test are things like 2 to the negative 128, which is a hugely infinitesimally small number, but a non-zero number. The problem is that occasionally we can end up with things like cosmic rays that will cause a bit to flip. So computers are function on ones and zeros, and sometimes a zero, thanks to the impact of a bit of energy spike, noise, or interference in a cable, could become a one instead of a zero. And that happens about 10 to the negative 13 times you know, a month. So a very, very small chance of that actually happening, but again, a non-zero amount, but bigger than the actual probability of the error occurring. So that means that you know you actually... We're thinking our computers are running fine, but because we're all agreeing they're fine, we may actually be missing uh, these, these other types of failures that are occurring. 
Another way to think about this paradox of unanimity is the recent Volkswagen scandal. So, for example, you may have heard about the cars from Volkswagen and a number of other cars using the similar types of products, such as Audi and Skoda, that had there were diesel engines and they had a system designed to identify that it was being tested for emissions and then change the settings of the engine so that their test results would comply with the legal limits. And when it detected it wasn't being tested, then it was acting totally fine, but outside the limits it would return to normal operations. Now, when you look at the, the low emissions results, the, the test mode, when it's turned itself into its sneaky cheating test mode, it should have been possible to actually pick that up. And when you look back at the data, you can see quite clearly that the results from those test mode results were too good to be true. It's a kind of example of where they're actually using, in this case, what the engineers responsible for this, software engineers, were actually using it to their advantage, <laughs> this too good to be true scenario, and relying on people saying, oh, everything's fine, then it must be okay. Another example from the real world is uh, the some of the early days of DNA sampling between 1993 and 2008. Across Europe, police in Europe were setting their DNA analysis and coming through and about 15 different crime scenes across France, Germany, and Austria. They found the same DNA at all the seams. It was clear. The sample was clear. It was consistent. It was overwhelming. And they, they could never figure out who this mysterious person with this DNA was. And they dubbed it the Phantom of Hilbron. And the police never found them. Until they realized that it was actually a systemic error. The cotton swabs that they were using to collect the DNA in the first place had themselves been contaminated before they're even used in the factory by the person who made the swabs. And that contamination was then clouding the entire process. It was kind of a systemic error that went through. And it was only when the, they actually sort of pieced together the whole puzzle in 2008 that actually solved this issue. And it's a way that a systemic error can actually become more apparent when things appear too good to be true. So the paradox of unanimity, like most paradoxes, seems a bit counterintuitive. But it's just a reminder that to, to be a bit watchful and to take a second look at the data and the analysis and potentially consider other hypotheses that may have been missed uh, to make sure you're considering all the facts. And if things look too good to be true or your results are just too perfect, make sure that you're not missing something or there's not an error, perhaps, that's causing them to be that way. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we heard about how to optimally slice up a pizza and the complicated mathematics of that, as well as how different paradoxes we can study through understanding probability and help make our decisions more correct. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.